Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, as you know, we're slowly progressing through Revelation. One of the reasons it's slow is because we keep jumping out of it, uh, which we're going to kind of do again this morning. Um, because it's, it's appropriate to, to respond uh, when things happen in our society, uh, it's appropriate that we give a, give a, uh, a response to, to what's happening in our, in our society. So let me give you background. Most of you know that we had a really, really bad week in America, like a super bad week in, in America. I think it started uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, we had another shooting of, a, of an African-American male who was unarmed uh, in front of a store while he was in custody being held, uh, uh, killed. The, while everything was going crazy about that uh, in Minnesota, Another young man uh, was was in his his car with his uh, with his fiance uh, was pulled over. They asked him for his license and registration. He reached for his license and registration, and they shot him. Uh, he bled out, and so everything that was going uh, sort of insane, crazy about that. And, and two nights later, as they, as they sought to walk in a peaceful protest, someone opened up fire and killed uh, uh, four police officers, shot, uh, I believe, 11. Uh, and so, bad week, America. Not, not one, of our, one, of our, one of our best weeks. And the reality is, is this, is that what we find ourselves on is on, on the, the border of what are uh, extremely strong racial racial tensions and, and race-based tensions. And so um, I'll get to why I, in a minute, but I'm, I'm just going to say this up front. I think it'd be wrong for us not to address that uh, as a congregation and for us to not talk about that uh, the, this morning, to not be, be honest about the situation unfolding in, in our country. And so we're going to do that two ways. I'm going to start by talking about uh, what's going on in our country, and then we're going to loop back to to what's happening in, in the church, and then we're gonna we're gonna deal with with the gospel on, on that matter. And so, frankly, uh, sometimes not much anymore, but I used to occasionally hear, "Man, Dave, he just preaches a lot of messages about race," and um, which I have about zero apologies for. I do preach a lot of messages about race. Um, Hopefully, to make up for the zero most of you have heard in your life before this, if you if you grew up in, in the church, and so um, hopefully we'll make the point that that it's not um, it, it's not superfluous to the gospel, and there's a reason we should discuss this. But here, I want to point out this picture because before me, for me, uh, this the the racial uh, outrage and the racial problems uh, began actually on July 4th. This is Lecrae. Lecrae is a great brother in Christ. Uh, dude who just loves loves Jesus. He he tweeted this picture, my family on July 4, 1776. Um, this picture uh, apparently hurt a lot of a lot of feelings and touched off a lot of um, a lot of uncomfortable racial stuff. Here's here's what happens, and we'll, we'll talk about Christian world just for a minute. See, guys like Lecrae uh, make 
albums where they talk about Jesus and Christian people buy them. The majority of people purchasing Christian albums happen to be Caucasians. And so Caucasians buying albums produced by African Americans, they love Lecrae when he produces albums for them. They don't like like it when he acknowledges the fact that he is a black male. And this is kind of a common thing that happens. And so another one of his his friends, uh, uh, a guy named Jason Petty, uh, jumped in to try and defend it. And people went off on him. And simply, um, here's, here's the problem that, that we have. There are two things. One is that the narrative of America, the story of America, is, is controlled by the Caucasian experience of growing up in America. And so Fourth of July as a holiday makes perfect sense if you grew up in a Caucasian majority because 1776 for us is Independence Day. We'll get into what's an Independence Day for an African American in our country in, in a few minutes, but it was not July 4th, 1776. This picture is honest. And so uh, Jason Petty is a believer in Christ and a former history teacher uh, uh, and African-American himself tried to explain to Christians, Christians, why this picture, why Lecrae would tweet this picture. Because what happens is people get very offended and they say things like, just stick to the gospel, just preach the gospel. I didn't know you'd fall away. And what, every time we have... Um, we have an issue in America and someone from the minority culture tries to speak from a minority perspective or towards the, their actual reality, their actual reality, what we find is that the Caucasian majority or the evangelical majority cannot handle it. They lose their, lose their mind. I've, I said several times this week, it's a funny thing about America is that the, the three things we can't, that make us really, really, really angry seem to be a black Annie a black stormtrooper in any suggestion that racism exists. In, in, in several groups, you suggest that there was a black Annie in a movie. People lost their mind. Annie's not black. How dare there be a black Annie? Here's the thing. Annie's not real, right? <laughs> How dare there be a black one, though? Um, there was a black stormtrooper, right? We all love Finn. Uh, there's a black stormtrooper. He showed up in the trailers for a Star Wars movie, and people said, stormtroopers aren't black. How dare they? You can't have a black stormtrooper. How dare you? In which I respond again, stormtroopers, really, really, really not real, right? And he has the possibility of, of existing. Uh, Star Wars happened in a galaxy far, far, far away. And so applying American ideals to a galaxy far, far, far away is interesting. Anyway, so get those two things. Those same people, however, if you simply suggest to them that perhaps racism still exists in our country, they'll say, no, it doesn't. How dare you? That's offensive. It's always reverse racism. I always want to explain to people why reverse racism is not a thing, right? But that's always, that's, you're discriminating because the things that offend them are Black Annie, Black Stormtrooper, and the suggestion that racism exists. And so Lecrae tweets this, Christian world, and if you deal in urban ministry and this sort of thing, and you, you roll in circles with some of these dudes, what you're watching is your buddies and your friends get attacked for the color of their skin and for making an honest statement about reality. How dare you? This, what Lecrae was accused of was, was uh, hating America, not being patriotic, uh, dishonoring our our soldiers, as if none of our soldiers, by the way, who had died for this country had been African-American them, themselves. And so the honesty of this picture be darned 
Lecrae got in trouble. So this is where this started. And so then, a couple days later, we have the situation uh, with, with, uh, with uh, black motorists being shot by, by police officers in, in various things. It is interesting to me um, what happens immediately after this happens. And, and church, I'm going to deal predominantly with us. I don't think most of us in this congregation, but we are a part of a larger global church. What is happening with American evangelicalism, with its relationship to, um, to party politics, immediately after this happens, people would come out, and the first thing they try to do is, is place blame upon the person who got shot. Well, if he would have done this, if he would have done this, if he and they have a long list of things that he should have done to have not got himself shot, no matter the fact that the videos are, are clear, and if you've, you've watched those, family, they're horrific. I'm, you're watching someone be gunned down in, in front of your face and die from multiple angles. And, but for people who, for, uh, for the same people who get very upset that you suggest racism exists when they, when they see it, the first thing they try and do is to make an excuse for why it did happen. And so um, I would simply say this up front, and we'll come back to our, to our, our brothers in Dallas, the, the police officers. Uh, this is not a critique of, of of police officers as a whole. It is an acknowledgement that police officers, like people in every other profession, there's sinful people in the, that profession. And so we're going to talk about a 1%, not a 99%. But what happens then is that these, these brothers are, are gunned down. You can see it clearly. Our news media picks up then. The first thing they will try and do anytime an African-American is killed in a traffic stop is to find out if he ever had committed any crime in his life. Not if he committed a crime at that time, but if he had ever committed a crime at any time in his life. So if you watch media coverage of, of shootings, which I would call these, by the way, extrajudicial shootings, right? Even if they had committed a crime, they're being gunned down for that crime of whatever minor traffic stop without a trial. It's not constitutional, but apparently if you're conservative enough or if you're from one political party enough, the Constitution only applies in certain circumstances and does not apply to police officer behavior in these sorts of situations. But in these extrajudicial shootings, the first thing you will see in, in the media, in the news, is you will see a picture of the person who was gunned down in his jumpsuit or in his mugshot. They will find a way in which he had been to jail and they will try and tell you, well, he went to jail. And then the suggestion is, well, he was just a criminal anyways in his past. It was okay that he was shot. And the question then becomes, when in America do we come to believe that it is okay to shoot anybody based upon their past, right? That is a bad American concept. It is a horrible Christian concept because we acknowledge that we are all but criminals. We are all but sinners. We are all but evil. And frankly, a person's background has nothing to do with an officer or any person in charge right to shoot that person without a trial and without the constitutional uh, without the constitutional background. But here's an interesting uh, uh, thing that happens. So if a young black male is gunned down, the picture you will see of him is a picture of him in a mugshot. Now, in this last one, they could not find a picture of him in a mugshot. The young man had never been arrested. The young man worked with children. I read that he worked with, uh, with children, and he worked with hundreds, and he knew their names. He knew their hobbies. He knew their families. He was a hero in the community. So they could not find a, a mugshot of him, but typically what you get is a mugshot, and so the, the, the narrative becomes police shoots criminal. The thought process becomes criminal deserved it. 
right? And so that is what happens. Here's the interesting question. Do you remember three, four, five weeks ago in this country when a Caucasian man from Stanford raped a young woman and somehow got off on it? What picture did they show of him? They showed pictures of him winning his medals. They showed pictures of him representing him as a hero. But none of the pictures were of him at his arrest. None of the pictures were in a jumpsuit. There is in... Uh, 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 there was different media representation. So uh, all of this is background to say, here's how we got to this situation this week. This is not how we got to this situation in America. So I want to spend a few minutes to answer this question. For the person who would say, as they said to propaganda to her friend Jason Petty uh, the other day, they finally said to him, a Christian person said to him, why do you keep talking about race? When's the last time you picked cotton? And that person did not view that as a racist statement. That is absolutely, completely, and totally a racist statement. But he didn't view it as such. His, his, his idea was, you've never been a slave. Why are you still whining? Let's talk about that then, okay? So let me give you the history. For 300 years in America, African, uh, Africans were, were stolen from their own country, taken um, from countries on, on the west side of, uh, of the continent of Africa, places like Sierra Leone, right? And, and they were stolen from their country, and they were bought, brought here to our country, and, and they were sold on, uh, in auctions, and they were sold as slaves. They were sold as property, and they were viewed as property here. That happened for 300 years in our country. And so I want you to hear 300 years, because sometimes I don't think we realize how long slavery lasted in our country. For 300 years, people of, of African descent were brought and sold as property in our country. We know then that, that eventually the, 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 the Civil War happens, the Emancipation Proclamation happens, and slaves are set free. But at the same time, even Abraham Lincoln, though he did sign the, the Emancipation Proclamation, he does not have in view uh, the idea that Africans are the same as Caucasians. He views them as, as inferior. Now, he would be sort of like the person who, who had a tender heart towards a, a, an animal, a tender heart towards a pet. He would not want to mistreat that pet, but he would not view the pet as human. That is his view even of, of the African slaves at, at that time. He is not with the Emancipation Proclamation declaring them equal. He's just declaring that they can't be held as slaves. He's especially declaring with the Emancipation Proclamation that you can't hold them as slaves and use them in a battle against them against the North. And so they, they fight a fight. But what should be said, so in our Constitution, in our Constitution, uh, in our Bill of Rights, one of those, so uh, should be more specific, but my brain is scattered. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Right? Thomas Jefferson, one of the luminaries of our of our country, one of the founders of our country, the writer of those words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Thomas Jefferson owned over 400 slaves. Thomas Jefferson routinely entered into relationships that were probably abusive with the slave women and fathered children by them. What really should have been written was this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people of European or Caucasian descent are are equal 
We hold those truths to be self-evident. When Thomas Jefferson writes at the founding of our country that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, he is not including the African as a man. He is not including the African as a woman. He's not. It's not included. And so slavery continues in this country. With slavery from the time it started to the time it ends, 300 years. Even at that point, the people who put an end to slavery, a lot of them have no consistent belief that the African is equal to the Caucasian. They just don't have that, that belief. And so what happens then is, is about 150 years of, of outright legal discrimination in this country. These laws are called things like Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws are put in and they say things like separate but equal and we know and we can establish from history that they are no point equal. They are certainly separate, but there's no equality. Wherein the government said the black people might not be slaves, but they can't go to school with us. They can't drink from our drinking fountain. They can't go to our restaurants. They can't sit at our lunch counters. They were not equal. I had the, uh, the, the opportunity recently to go to Walworth in, uh, in North Carolina. Walworth is the beginning of the sit-in movement and the civil rights movement. This is a lunch counter where African uh, Americans were not allowed to go in and have lunch. They were allowed to have food from there, but they had to pick up the food in a to-go bag and get away because they were not allowed to sit at the counter. That's not equality in any sense. But what happens then is that Jim Crow laws say separate but equal, and they're simply separate and amazingly, amazingly disproportionate. What they do is they codify and make legal discrimination in this country. And so that discrimination continues for 150 years. It continues until we get into the, into the 1950s, 1952. They start to fight about this again, and they say, this is not fair that, that the, the, the white person in this country should receive this amount of schooling, and the black person should receive this kind of schooling when the, the funding's not equal, the resources aren't equal, and the treatment's not equal. And so they, they carried out a, a case, a legal case, that all of us should know, hopefully they taught us in our history classes, called Brown versus Board of Education. Brown versus Board of Education happens in 1952, and what it declares and strikes down is, is, um, is, is laws before it, but essentially sets aside the Jim Crow laws, the laws of the Jim Crow era, and say, now you must be, give equal treatment. The integration should happen. That happened in 1952. However, they continue to litigate it for decades afterwards. Litigate, 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 and so that it's never really implemented. They gave no, no instruction until several years later the Supreme Court gives instruction on how to implement it. They don't really even make attempts to implement it until the, until the 60s. So in, in, this, in the 60s and, and going towards the 70s are the greatest decade of attempting to implement uh, Brown versus Board of Education. At the same time, the governor of Alabama, Wallace, is declaring, and this is a decade after Brown versus Education, he declares segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation always. That's a decade after Brown versus Board of Education. Eventually, they start to try and force implementation on this. They try to get Brown versus Board of Education, equal access to the schools implemented, and during that same decade, and here's where we, church, get implemented, enrollment in private Christian academies doubled 
over that decade. Why? Because Caucasian Christians were fleeing from the integration of the school because they were listening to the preaching of people like George Wallace instead of the preaching of Scripture. And so from, from 1960 to 70, 61 to 71, that decade right there, the enrollment in, 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 the, in, in uh, private academies doubles, right? Then we get a little break. There's a little break from 71 to 80 where things look like they're going to get better. Now we realize that since 1980 to the moment we sit in, 2016, schools have become more segregated every year. Every year uh, in America, schools become more and more segregated, not more and more integrated. Now, some people will say to me, Dave, what you're talking about, that's not because of race, that's because of poverty. The reason the schools are segregated are because of poverty. This is, becomes an interesting choice then, because what you have to do is ask, why then are people of color, people in this country who are black or brown or people of color, why are they disproportionately represented in impoverished classes? You have two choices. One, you can say a system which held them in slavery for 300 years, a system which held them in legal discrimination for 150 years, a, a, a system which fought their access to schools for the next decades, a system that has really only been open for about 20 to 30 years but continues to fight. That system is causing a problem that is causing disproportionate poverty amongst people of color. That's one choice. You can say essentially that the system is racist. Your other option is to say that you're racist. Because there's only two choices. Because if I say to you, why are African Americans disproportionately represented in poverty? If your answer is it's because they have bad families, right? I'm going to ask you first what you mean, but if you mean that there's a greater amount of fatherlessness in our urban, impoverished neighborhoods, I will agree that, that there is, but I'm going to ask you what caused that. And at the end of the day, you either have to say that the system caused it, or they themselves, as a group, as a collective, caused it. You, we have two choices, and the choice is between, between admitting that we have a systematic problem or admitting that we have an individual problem. Either the system is racist, or you are, and I don't see a third, or the third way to wade through that. Now, so some of you, so back to the question asked of Jason Petty, better known as propaganda. When's the last time you picked cotton? Why are you ta still talking about slavery? I would simply respond that if you have 300 years of, of, of slavery, 150 years of discrimination, court cases, and only true uh, uh, openness in that one sense even for the last 30 or so years, that 30 years is not enough time to change the course of a history that had been established by 450 years, right? And so we know this as adoptive parents. One of the things they say as adoptive parents is it will take an equal amount of time living in your home to the time that they lived in their birth home for you to achieve full bondedness, for you to achieve full, full sort of family. So, so if for us, uh, we adopted our son when he was seven. He is coming up on 14. We're about halfway. You should be approaching full bondedness. But the point I'm, I'm trying to make about that is not about adoption. It's about this reality, is that the course of history is not altered in a moment, right? You cannot take a group of people who were enslaved and treated not as people. Oh, we skipped something, by the way. Let's talk about this date, July 4, 1776, right? 
Do you know what happened on July 2, 1964? The Three-Fifths Compromise was repealed. The Three-Fifths Compromise declared that black folk were only three-fifths as human as white folk. 1964. I want you to hear those numbers so that you realize how close they are to your own time. So, all of which to say is that it is sort of ignorant and foolish to expect the course of history to be altered by, by 30 years of, 40 years of forced, forced equality, legal equality, to expect the hearts of a nation to be changed. And it's a little foolish for us to ask them, well, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Why? I don't even have time to explain to you how, how, how uh, privilege works because of mathematical privilege, right? There's more white folk. We've had better access to education, better access to education, gave us better access to jobs. Therefore, there's more white people in management. Therefore, there's more white people hiring others. White people know more white people. People tend to hire who they know. So more white people get hired. Privilege should not make you feel guilty. It is a mathematical fact. It should make you realize that it exists and you should want to respond to it. But we don't have time to talk about that. So I say all of this to say, why are people still talking about racism? We were talking about it because if the last week hasn't taught you, we have a horrible, horrific problem with it in America, and we've done very little to acknowledge it. Do you know in Germany where they, they mistreated, um, they, they, they mistreated the, the Jewish man, the Jewish woman, the Jewish child, and all kinds of other minority groups, they had national repentance. They apologized. Do you know what our country has never done? Apologized. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that, our, um, that, that when Jesse Owens, the first black, uh, 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 great black track star, ran in the Olympics and de defeated Hitler's supposed superior race, that Hitler came over and congratulated him and was impressed, and our president never spoke to him. I think it's just time for us to acknowledge that we have a messed up history and what to do with it, what, uh, uh, or, and say, what will we do with it? Now, I say all of that to say this. Here's the reality that I believe. Some people say racism is taught. People aren't born racist. I'm a little more Calvinist than that. Okay? I believe people are born depraved. And it's not so much that people are born racist. They're just born loving themselves more than anything else. Right? And so if you're born loving yourself, you are going to be born with a tendency to your own privilege. Forget about white privilege. It's individual privilege, right? My individual privilege trumps yours. I don't really care about you from birth. That's why I need Jesus. So racism exists in our country, and we need to be honest about the fact that racism exists in, in our country. But I will be honest with you about this. We will not fix that in a Sunday morning. That's not going away this, this morning. Here's what's really ticking me off. Here's what bothers me. The church is one of the greatest perpetuators and one of the greatest offenders when it comes to racial inequality, when it comes to racial discrimination, when it comes to denial of racial reality. The church which is called to be the very, the very hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. The church which claims to be a people saved and rescued by a Messiah who, by the way, was an ethnic minority, by the way, who was not a, who was not a Caucasian Western middle class person. We who claim to be the follower of that 
Jesus tend to have no interest in that Jesus as we recast him looking like us, just as American, just as white, just as privileged as we are. We have very little interest in the problem is not so much that our country is falling apart upon, uh, upon these racial fault lines. The problem is that the church is taking no leadership in helping our country through this because the reality is, is that racial reconciliation is endemic or a result or a blessing of the gospel and we are denying the blessings of the gospel at the same time while we go around flapping our mouths about the reality of the gospel and the problem is, is that the world looks at us and they believe that the church is more racist than they are and frankly as I'm around us I'm worried that they're right. That's my problem. So I want to show you from Ephesians chapter 2 this. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who were you? Once dead. That's you. That's I. Here's a great racial equalizer. That's everybody. You know, we used to sing when I was little, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Absolutely true. But also red and yellow, black and white, all are equally dead in sin. Makes a less powerful children's song. And you were dead in the trespasses and in sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's you, that's I, that's everybody, again, racially equalized. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What you would just receive there is a presentation of the gospel, we would all agree that that is gospel talk. All of, all of scripture is gospel, but that is a presentation of the salvific reality, the working of God in, in the universe, what he is want, wanting to do. We would, I'm having this conversation with my children regularly, what is the gospel, right? And God is the gospel, Jesus is the gospel, but what are we talking about when we say that what we mean is this, is that God is good, men are bad, God sent his son to take the punishment for man so that man could have relationship and friendship with God. That is the gospel. It is laid out here. He has come to rescue us from our deadness, which means he comes to resuscitate us, make us alive. He has come to, to raise us up and seat us with him. And it is by grace that he has done this. I want you to get that because I want you to see what follows that then. This is Paul laying out for the Ephesians. Here's the gospel, and he lays it out powerfully. And then after laying out that gospel, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not is your own doing, it is a gift of God. He lays that out. And then in verse 11, he says this. Then remember that what one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision which is... Uh, uh, Called, by the, uh, called the uncircumcision by that which is the circumcision, 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Here's the reality. He says, remember, at one time you Gentiles, he's talking to Ephesians, you were, you were outside. You were a racial minority. You were mistreated. You were called racial names. You're the uncircumcision. You're the dirty. You're the disgusting. You're the less. Right? At one time, you were called those things. You were less than, than human. You were less than, than they were. Remember, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside the people. You were outside the nation. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Verse 13, but in, now in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once not a people. You were once discriminated against. You who were once called less, less than human or, or less than other humans at least. Now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, contextually what he's talking about is the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. Right? So the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jewish people had one way of viewing themselves and it was elevated. The Gentiles had one way of viewing themselves and it was elevated and they were, they were enemies. And Paul says, you were once far off. You were once strangers. You were once at war. But this Jew and Gentile separation is every bit as extreme as a, as a KKK, Black Panther separation. It's every bit as extreme as, a, as an American Tea Party, Black Lives Matter movement separation this separation is extreme it, it, it is it is it, it is it is complete they they could not come together it was unthinkable that these two groups would ever be together in fact in the human sense they could not do it it just said that because in the human sense they were dead they were far off they were strangers but he says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. It's the only thing powerful enough to end the racial division that, ends, that exists between the Jews, and the Jews and the Gentiles. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's what I'm going to suggest to you, church, is that we when we allow any sort of dividing wall of hostility to exist between us in the church, when we allow that to, to exist, we are denying the... the, the we, we, it's funny that people say to Lecrae and, and, and Jason Petty, just preach the gospel, and then they want to deny that there is a dividing wall of hostility. See, the gospel knocks down the dividing wall of hostility, and where the dividing wall of hostility is not being knocked down, the power of the gospel is not being felt. And you can talk about the gospel all you want, but until the gospel takes over your life enough that the implications of the gospel are around you, until there, 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 there's, there's a, not an aura, but there's a, there's a reality around you where, where the effects of the gospel are felt, what gospel are you preaching? Is the blood of Christ so powerless that it does nothing? What are we doing if we're just mouthing the words of gospel, but we live in racial disharmony when this word says that he in his flesh abolished the dividing wall of hostility? How can we be claimed to be in Jesus when the dividing wall still exists? If there's a wall between peoples, then we can't be in Christ. You, church, are unique in the world in that the world does not have the power of Christ destroying the dividing wall of hostility. The world is not in him. 
And really, the world doesn't want to come to know him because they're ahead of you on the implications of the gospel. They who do not know the gospel are ahead of you on its implications. This should disgust you and sicken you about yourself and about myself and make us ask, why is this so? It cannot be. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. This is true. God came to make one new man from Gentiles and, and Jewish people, but also the implication then is from white Americans and black Americans and, 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 and people in Guatemala and people in, in, in Mexico and people in countries all around. The, he came to make one new man in him. Now sometimes then people will say, well, then, if he came to make one new man, why do we need to talk about race? Can't we just be one? When people say that, what they are saying is this. Will you not just accept my majority culture as the only culture, and may I ignore your pain, may I ignore your struggle? That is not gospel talk. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. When the wall is knocked down, that does not mean that we ignore hurt, that we ignore pain, that we ignore the realities going on in our world. Frankly, we have established this morning that, that one group in this country received about a 450-year head start in a race. And the other group was allowed to begin the race 450 years later, but they were loaded down with baggage as the other group ran free. I, can, I don't have time this morning, but we could show you from all over Scripture how that kind of oppression is injustice. And so because we have become one man should not make us less willing to deal with the discrimination and the pain and, and all those other things that our brothers who do not have the same kind of privilege that we have, that should not make us less willing or less wanting to deal with it. It should make us more because we would feel their pain as our flesh and we would not allow that to continue. Do you know that when slavery ended, they, they, they invited the black folk into some of the churches, but when they, when they invited them into the church, they put a, a, a wall, and they probably didn't put a wall down the center. If I was here, they had this, and then they put a wall way over there, and over in that area, they said, oh, all you former slaves, all you black folk, go sit over there. And so the, the white folk who had been there, could, could see and had access directly to the singing, had direct access to the pastor, had direct access to the church. The, the black folk had to sit over there. Sometimes I hear people complain, well, what about the black church and what about those black leaders? What about them? As if it was not this situation that caused that. Right? We need to take responsibility for that. If you've got issues with that, and I, I think largely a lot of those issues have to do with you not knowing enough about the black church. And so if you, by the way, want a place to start, go Google DJ Elder Ward and watch all those sermons. It'll change your life. But uh, we, we complain about that, and that's common in Caucasian backgrounds. Well, the black church is liberal. The black church is this. The black church, why doesn't the black church do something? Here's a better question. Why didn't the white church read this passage and say the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down by Jesus Christ and we won't put a wall up in our church? The African Methodist Episcopal Church, by the way, is the church that is founded out of that situation. The slaves got together and said it's not right that we should not have equal access. It's not right. that, And so they, started, they founded their own church, and that's where the tradition comes from. But if you want to complain about, about a divided church and say, well, isn't it just as much the black people as us? Then you have a deficient view of history. And so I guess, 
I'm calling you, uh, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I will speak in this sense as a prophet might. I, I'm calling you to repentance from the majority culture to say this is a reality. And you say, but I never did anything. Um, then repent on behalf of our people. Be one in Christ and feel the pain of those around you because I can't spend another week hearing Christians make political arguments about why two black men are, are dead, why, why their sons are crying, why their wives have no, no husband, why after the police shot them, if that's a mistake, why no police officer in any of these extrajudicial killings did anything to give or administer CPR so maybe they wouldn't die. I, I have not seen that. I know this. I've seen lots of crazy white folks shoot up schools. seen lots of crazy white folks shoot up uh, theaters. I've seen them do all kinds of things, and they're still alive to tell about it. And yet, for some reason, there's a brokenness in our country. There's a fear in our country. There's something wrong in our country so that a, a disproportionate number of people of color are being shot in a situation. That is not to say that all police are evil. That's a foolish statement as well. And that's not to say that we should react in violence. What happened in Dallas was a horrific crime against humanity because police officers, as well as people of color, bear the very image of God. He made them. He loves them. And nobody should ever be murdered. That is a sin against Scripture. Genesis 1.27, and God made them in his own image. It's a sin against the Imago Dei, the very image of God. So that we can hold these two things and not hold them in conflict, we should mourn and be disgusted and scream out, it is wrong to shoot police officers ever. And at the same time saying that some police officers act in brutality that is sinful and wrong and they're killing our brothers of color and we will not stand for that any longer either. And we, we, we in the church can stand and say, we know that the country is messed up and we might not be able to fix that, but we can fix us. Because we are the ones for whom the dividing wall of hostility has been knocked down. We are the ones who have... Who have uh, who have been uh, drawn into Christ. We are the ones for whom his blood has, has powerfully worked. And if that is true, then it is true that he himself is our peace and he has made us one, uh, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has made peace and he has reconciled both to God through his body and through the cross, thereby killing hostility. When people call out Lecrae for the, the, the thing he posted, my suspicion is they know in their heart that that's true. But what they're really saying is, don't cause division, right? And I hear a lot of that. Like, you're just causing division. When you bring this up, you're causing division. You're causing division. Um, in the face of these national tragedies, In the face of these national tragedies, call, uh, singing unity in the face of these tragedies would be like walking into the emergency room singing health and doing nothing to deal with it. We deal with sicknesses, guys. When there's sickness in the body, we deal with it, we treat it, we work on it, we cannot ignore it. It does not cause disunity because that is a false unity. It's a false unity if the unity does not value our brothers and sisters in Christ as fully and completely and totally united and one with us. See, equal is a bad word. Who cares about equal? Let's go with one. I don't need you to view them as equal. I need to view them as you. I need you to view them as your flesh. 
during the civil rights movement before uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated the, the, a group of white pastors wrote to him and said Martin stop causing trouble you're causing trouble why do you keep stirring up trouble why do you keep stirring up trouble why do you keep stirring up trouble and he wrote to them a beautiful letter it's called letter from the Birmingham jail I challenge you to read that too but he simply responds and says that responds and says brothers I'm not trying to stir up trouble but my people are being oppressed my people are being denied access my people and, and he lays out all the reasons why he's not stirring up trouble and uh, in one of the most beautiful pieces written in our our country's history it's interesting to me that now 50 years later 50 years after uh, Martin Luther King one of the key arguments I hear from the church is don't cause division don't stir up trouble don't cause division don't stir up trouble and that is a false narrative and it's a danger it's a danger to the to the church my prayer for us is that we would be so radically united so radically unified so radically one that the world would start to see in us the church again the joy of what it means to be Jesus followers that they would not reject our our religion as is happening all over America black folk are rejecting Christianity as a western religion and Jesus as a white man even though Jesus was on both Egyptian and African soil right they're rejecting our faith because we've we've made it something that it's not and so my prayer is that we might unite again as one as people of of, of peace but our peace might be so radical that we would understand that 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 there can be no peace while they're still firing at our brothers Patrick Henry one of our founders said gentlemen may cry peace peace but there is no peace the enemy is already in it it's a bit foolish to look around what's going on in our country and call peace and expect peace to happen what you want when you cry peace is not peace. You want assimilation by people of color. You want people of color to swallow their pain. You want people of color to ignore their pain. You want people of color to come into your congregations and, and to hide their tears. And so you don't have a problem with people of color and people say, I don't mind black people, right? It's the famous, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. That's right, you don't mind their skin color. You mind that they make you uncomfortable when truth shows up on the scene that's what you mind. let us never be a people who, who say we want peace and want unity but then expect people of color to hide their tears hide their pain your pain's welcome here people of color your pain's welcome and we will feel it to my young man I don't know what to tell you I don't know right I don't know what your mom's and daddies tell you but it's right it's not right but it's not Jesus and it won't happen here right you shouldn't have to behave different than my little blonde-haired children. You can tell me racism doesn't exist, and I'm going to say to you, Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice was 12 years old, sitting in a, in a park with an with a, with a airsoft gun, which my boys play with all the time, with an orange tip. The call said, I think he has a toy gun. The police showed up, and they shot him within two seconds without asking any questions. If Tamir Rice were one of my little blonde-haired, blue-haired, my blonde-haired, blue-eyed children, he'd be alive today. It's not right it's not right and we can deny and lie and say whatever we want but it's junk 
and it needs to be kicked out of the church. And frankly, I know that I have our elder support to say whatever I want as long as it's from this word. This is the position of this congregation. Here we stand, we can do no other. Martin Luther stood before the Diet of Worms and rejected the Pope. We stand here before our Western construct, fake religion, and reject the church in that sense. We are a people for whom the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. To my young brothers, I am sorry that our country doesn't stand for you, but I'm with you. Black lives do matter. Every bit of life is little blonde-haired, blue-eyed lives matter. I stand with you you because Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility and if you are in Christ you are my brother and if you're my brother you're my flesh and I will fill your pain because guys now I'm talking to my white people you know what the greatest white privilege is you can walk away I can walk away I don't have to read Twitter I don't have to read the articles I don't have to experience it I could go get a new house I could go live someplace else I could go ignore the news my kid is not going to get shot by the cops for having an airsoft gun with an orange tip within two seconds I can walk away that's white privilege. I will not walk away because my Savior could have walked away and he did not. He went to the cross and if my Savior died for me, I stand here and say I can do no other. I would rather die with you than walk away from your pain. Black lives matter. Jesus said so. And if they get mad, they don't know him. Let's pray. Jesus, I have an anger and a sorrow that I believe to be holy. If it's not, Lord, correct me. But let crosswinds never be a church. Let there never be, Lord, strike down in this country the churches that will not rise up and shout out that black lives matter. Of course they do. Let us not, the, the response, well, what about police? Police matter. Yes, they do, but I don't hear them screaming, all professions' lives matter. When police officers have been shot, we should scream, police lives matter. It is a sorrow, it is a crime, it is a disgusting, foolish thing that these cops were shot in Dallas. What is wrong? And the answer is, Jesus, there's not enough of you. And so we who are one in you, we bond together and we say as a people, black lives matter here at Crosswinds, Asian lives matter here at Crosswinds, the Mexican lives, Guatemalan lives, people of color matter. Of course white lives matter, Lord Jesus. What we're proclaiming is that in you they all matter the same. And Lord God, may I never fail to take advantage of the fact that my white skin gives me advantages and may I never walk away, but may I use my privilege for the goodness and the furtherment and, and, and the lifting up of my brothers, my brothers who, who are people of color. Dr. Martin Luther King said once, he said, I have no problem telling a man to pick himself up by his bootstraps, but it is only a cruel joke to a man wearing no boots. Lord God, may we be people who run in and put boots on feet and lift people up and draw them in. Lord, you destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, and if you did that, then it's between black and white also, and may there be no wall in our church. May we and you be one. May our anger and sorrow rise up in a humble way so that we stand with our brothers and sisters of color and say, I'm with you, and for the cause of Christ, I'll stay with you. And if they attack you, they attack me. And if they shoot at you, then they've shot at me. And if they call you the N-word, then they called me the N-word. And I will not allow my greatest white privilege, the ability to walk away, to be exercised, but I will stand with you. Because Jesus left heaven, incarnated into humanity, and died for the cause of abolishing the sin of all people from every nation, color, and race, so that we could be one in him. Lord God, make us one. Thank you.